Thank you, Miles. Thank you, Emily. Such a blessing. Oh, you're good, man. I do kind of sway some, so we'll see what happens. Um, Ezekiel 37. Oh, kids, you can be dismissed. Uh, have fun. Uh, don't miss me too much. They always remind you when they're leaving, don't they? Like, you, you can't miss that one. Ezekiel 37, uh, verse 1 states this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. The dry bones will come to life. But here is, here is the truth. I'm afraid that many Christians today are just a dry people. We're just a dry, dehydrated people. How do you know if you're dry? You know, I can say that and you can nod your head or disagree, but how do you know that? Here's a few things I would just kind of put in front of you. First, let's ask this to you. Do you like joy in your life? Not happiness. That comes, that goes with, um, you know, the Cowboys winning, Cowboys losing. So not very happy lately for me for 20 years. Um, talking about joy. The kind of joy that even in the midst of the despair of life, you have joy at what's to come. Do you have joy in your life? Let me ask you this. Think about being dry or being full of life in the spirits. Do you walk in power over sin? I'm not saying you don't struggle, but there is in a sense that you don't walk in fear of sin or, or beholden to sin, but you walk in power over sin. Do you lack love for others? Not the ones that are like you. That's easy to love those people. But, but to love those that are hard to love. Do you lack love for those people? Hear this. A lack of joy, a lack of power, a lack of love has become the norm for many Christians. And I will tell you, that is dry bones kind of life. And I fear that we've become way too used to being dry people, amen? That we're used to just this kind of showing up, I agree with this kind of life, and we're just very, very dry. If, if I can be safe to confess, even to you guys today, um, sometimes I drift into this, and here's how I kind of drift into this. There's times where my joy isn't what it should be. 
my love for others isn't what it should be. And there's times that does not break my heart. And it's because I believe the Bible, my bills are paid, and I am comfortable. Here's what I'm trying to say. It is very easy for us to live as dry Christians in a dry Christian world. Have you ever been, ever been around one of those really full of life, full of spirit Christians? They can't shut up about Jesus, right? They're like, bad things happen. Like, oh, brother, God's still there, right? They, they just persevere. There's a joy in their life. You see something different. And what I'm afraid of is that many times we just get used to you're dry, I'm dry, so it's okay to be dry. And we're not walking in the abundant life of Jesus, where life has been breathed into dead bones. And further in this text, these dead bones are made into an army. That, my friends, is life. But we are just used to just being dry, aren't we? Hear this, hear this, hear this. Jesus came to give us much more than dry life. Turn to John 7. That was very mean. Please turn to John 7. I'm not that, you know, I get accused sometimes of screaming too much when I preach, but you know what? I don't care. And I do care. I'm a people pleaser, but I'm in a good mood this morning. Forgive me. So um, we're going to walk through most of this chapter this morning. I'll be quick. Don't worry. You'll get your, whatever you're going to eat today, your chilies. Um, And this chapter kind of culminates here in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, hear this, here's the good news, cling to this this morning. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, now this he said about the Spirit, uh-oh, the Holy Spirit, watch out, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He came so we'd not be okay being dry, but that we could learn to have living water life, not dry life, not life that runs out, not life that's good till life actually comes and hits us, but living water life. This ever-flowing, never-stopping, never-giving-up source of miraculous joy and power and perseverance. Living water life. See, living water life looks like this. It's joy in the midst of hard times. It's power over the hard things of life. It's love for those that are unlovable and it's endurance to run the race that God has called us to. But many of us Bible-believing Christians are missing out on this Holy Spirit-fueled kind of life. Because see, John describes this source in verse 39, it's the Holy Spirit. Many of us are living as functional atheists because we're walking without the power of the Spirit. And my hope today is this, that we live we leave today with a more biblical picture of running the Christian race, 
of running a Holy Spirit empowered, a Holy Spirit fueled race. So, so what's our issue? We've read our Bibles. Most of you have been in church here and been in church a long time in your lives. You've been to Sunday school, you know the stories, you know the answers, you profess faith, you serve, you give, you're doing great things for the kingdom. But why is it we kind of live in this dry kind of life? Look at verse 38 again. He gives us a hint. Whoever believes in me. Verse 39. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. Jesus says we are to believe and then we'll receive the power of the spirit. We'll receive a living water kind of life. And I think what's tough for us, what's tough for me to be honest with you is that is our view of belief, I don't believe is Jesus' view of belief. We think because we know, we believe, but that is not how he defines belief. Jesus defines belief with different terms than we do today. It's not just intellectual assent and agreement. We're going to learn today about in this passage, Jesus, through the words of John, give us a picture of unbelief and a picture of belief. So this picture of unbelief, I believe, tells us a lot about what true belief looks like. And we're going to see two different groups here in this passage of, of how their unbelief, it might look different, but the core of that unbelief and really the core of all unbelief is the same. And I want to let Jesus define himself what belief actually looks like. Let's go to the beginning of John 7 here. And I will tell you, I have spent a lot of time in this passage this week. And I have gone rounds and rounds. We've had a good wrestling match. Uh, the text won, and I am worn out from the text. Um, John Piper had a great summer on this about 20 years ago that really kind of frames this picture of these two groups who walk in unbelief. And here's the thing. If we don't fully understand and walk in what true belief is, we're going to keep walking in a dry bones kind of life. And for me, for myself, for my wife, for my kids, for you guys, for our church, I don't want us to walk in a dry bones kind of life, right? Don't you want like this supernatural abundant life promised to us in, in, in the scriptures? Where you see the apostle Paul is thrown in prison, yet he keeps singing songs to God? that never-ending source of joy in the midst of hard times? Do we want that today? That's the question. Let's go to verse one. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Normal day for Jesus, you know, Tuesday, being seek to kill. Now the Jews feast of the booths was at hand. Let me stop here. So this context we're in this passage, this, this Jewish festival called the Feast of the Booths, or maybe in your translation it says the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is a feast that was held at the end of the agricultural season. 
It was designed to celebrate God's provision and to pray for rain for this next season of life for God's people. And even more particularly, it was this right here. It was a feast to remind them of how God provided water in their desert journey. In fact, the last day of the feast, it kind of culminated with this great ceremony where this, this priest officiating, he would draw the water from the pool of Shalom and pour it into this basin near the altar in the temple. All this to remind God's people that he is the one that provided water in the desert and to pray that he would provide water in this next season. This ceremony, this festival is all about seeing God as the source of life and actual water for God's people. Let's keep going. And we're going to see this first example of unbelief. Verse 3 says this. So his brothers said to him, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. This sounds great, right? They see his miracles. They're like, Jesus, show off your miracles. You're great. Let people see you. Let us be with you when they see this. It's so good. For, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. But then here comes the plot twist. For not even his brothers believed in him. We'll come back to that. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. Listen, Jesus is never on their timetable. I'll go a step further. Spirit-empowered people are never on other people's timetables. They're simply on the Father's timetable. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was concerned with one thing, the Father's purpose, and the Father's direction. And we as followers of Jesus have much to glean from that. Are you dependent upon man and his directions? Man is his, and his thoughts? Or are you beholden to the Father's voice? That's a side point. That's free. So you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. So it's strange here, right? His brothers are very excited about these miracles. They're like, yes, let's do this. They've seen them. They want other people to see them as well. Here is the real, real shock. His own brothers did not believe in him. This is James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, mentioned all in Matthew 13. His brother James would be one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Hear this, James, one of the leaders, one of the guys in the early church. So you got to imagine when the original people are reading this in, the New, in John's letter here, his, his gospel, they're shocked by this. John knows they're shocked to see that, wait, James did not believe? What, what's going on here? Because they know he's a great believer. He's a leader in the church. But see, John doesn't just want to shock the reader or shock us today. He wants to teach us about unbelief. 
So he shocks us again and he tells us that what James' unbelief produces is a certain kind of excitement about the miracles of Jesus, which makes no sense to us, right? Well, they believe Jesus, that he can do these miracles, but there's this root of unbelief here. Notice carefully the the connection here between their unbelief in verse 5 and their excitement in verses 3 through 4. It says, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And why they want Jesus to be seen by the world. And verse 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. This is more and more shocking. If they had said, we don't think you can do this. We don't think you can do these miracles. We don't want to be associated with you. We're embarrassed by you and all this crazy stuff you're doing. And then John said they walked in unbelief. Like, oh yeah, I get that, John. They are just being jerks. They don't believe. But they did. They believed in his miracles. They believed he can do these things. They're amazed. They love it. And they want him to make an appearance in Jerusalem to win more amazed followers. And Jesus says, this comes from unbelief. He says, this comes from unbelief. So that's one kind of unbelief in this passage. Leave your questions right there. Leave the tension there. We're going to come back to that. The other kind of unbelief is the opposite. Let's go to verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast... He also went up, not in public, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. About the middle of the feast, day three, day four, it's a seven day feast. Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So he did what he told them he was not going to do on their timetable. But he did it in private. And here's one of the key things we're going to see in this text. They wanted this public thing that Jesus did and his work was still in private. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. Here's another thing that we can glean as followers of Jesus, as spirit-empowered people. Jesus' wisdom was not in his learning, it came from the Father. It came from the Spirit. Does that make sense? We desire to be known as people who know lots of things about God's word. Listen, we should know much about God's word. But even more than that, we should be people who are fully dependent upon the spirit and hearing from God through his word. And here's my question. Is our knowledge of God's word desire to lift ourselves up or is our desire for God's word to hear and lift God up? Those are two key distinctions as we seek true belief. Let me keep going. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. 
The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Underline that, please. Seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? We're going to stop there. See, unlike his brothers, many of the Jewish people, they were not excited about his miracles. They are threatened by them. They see this man doing these things and they see their way of life. They see their glory from law keeping crumbling down. They want him dead. It said in verse 1, the Jews were seeking to kill him. Verse 19, he says, none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? In response, in verse 20, they says, you have a demon. They tell Jesus that you have a demon. And Jesus says this, this animosity comes back, back in chapter 5 of the book of John, where Jesus heals the man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. But he did it on the Sabbath. On this day, they say that cannot happen. So he answers them here in verse 21. I did one work, this healing of this man. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Well, the father's not for Moses. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath, a man receives circumcision, if you can do this on the Sabbath, he's saying, why are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath, I made a man's body well. He is showing their hypocrisy. He's showing him the second kind of unbelief, which is very different from the unbelief of the brothers. But it's, hear this, this style of unbelief is really the same. They look different. See, one is excited about miracle working and wants to be more public. The other is threatened by these miracles. But we have to recognize they're both unbelief. But Jesus wants us to see his brother's excitement is unbelief as well. So, so how are they both unbelief? What is the, what is the common root? It's this. And, and here's, this, here's why this is so important. So it's, this seems very subtle, right? These kinds of unbelief and belief. But this is eternally important to know what unbelief and belief is. It's a matter of life and death. Because you might be saying to yourself, okay, well, I'm a believer today and this sermon and this text must be for unbelievers today. Be careful. It's just not true. The only faith that saves is persevering faith. The only faith that saves it's persevering faith. It's faith that lasts. The words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. I preach you the gospel which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold it fast. Genuine faith lasts. And here is how these two different groups of unbelief are the same. Back in John 5, verse 43 says this. I have come in my father's name and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another 
and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. This is so core right here. Hear this. You cannot believe in Jesus if your root desire to be praised by other people. You cannot believe in Jesus if your root desire is to be praised by other people. And this is how their two different strands of unbelief have the same root. Their ultimate goal was to be praised by other people. Faith at its core is humble gladness in the grace of God. Listen, faith at its core is this childlike wonder that God has set me free. Isn't that amazing? That, that in God's grace, he loved you, he found you, and he saved you. That is the essence of faith. It's driven by a thankful joy that God is for us when we deserve no praise at all. We have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, glory that's full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, but we settle for something more. We settle for the praise of man and not the glory of God. And that level, that subtle shift, hear this, is unbelief. That's what his brothers did. They didn't see, they did not have. They had not been yet been born again. The root of their joy was the praise of man, not the grace of God. My question today as we kind of start landing this plane is where is your root? Where is your hope? Where is your thoughts going every single day? Which now brings the unbelief of the Jewish crowds. Is this root of unbelief the same? It is. Both have this elevated self at the bottom of their joy. This is what gives them satisfaction. See, his brothers pursued this through miracle working and others praising them for being associated with Jesus. The Jewish crowds pursued it through law keeping. In both cases, the root of joy, the root of significance is the elevated self. It's not the grace of God. The elevated self is the marker of unbelief. When we elevate ourselves as a supreme thing, whether it's our comfort, our joy, the glory, we have, we're now walking in functional unbelief. And this is where I want us to get to today, the elevated self, the boasting in self, the living for self. And here's the hard truth for us. For me, we can believe the tenets of Christianity. We can agree to those the way we agree to the Constitution today. We can do good things for God. But if we live with ourself as the primary concern, we miss everything. We miss everything. And listen, we can be of the faith. And still kind of walk in this dryness. And I would, and I don't know, I'm not God obviously. I think there's people here that do love Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. But we walk sometimes in this unbelief that we are the ultimate part of the world. And that's functional unbelief and we walk with dry bones. So what are the elements here of the elevated self? How can we kind of pinpoint this? The first is this elevated self through man's praise. 
This is what his brothers wanted, right? They would be associated with this like cool, powerful Jesus, right? That was like the elevated self coming to fruition. Maybe for you, you know, I'm going to leave here today. And in my insecurity, you want people to say, oh, that was great. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was great. But if we linger on that, here's the key. If we submit that elevated self, then we're walking in functional unbelief and we're walking with dry bones. But hear this. If we walk that our only concern is what God says about us and giving him glory, hear this. That's functional belief. That's freedom. That's living water life. And hear this, I think we, we submit to this in this one big moment, but there is this day-to-day choice of walking in this kind of belief and walking in living water life that we're not prepared to fight for. Let me keep going. The second kind of element here is elevated self through man's praise at law keeping. This is us doing our works to be seen. This is where Jesus goes over and over again about working on the internal, not the external. So my question lovingly is this right here. How much of your works do you do to be seen and praised by others? Here here is the, the, the problem in that. As you walk in that without turning away, you're walking in functional unbelief because you're the center and not Christ. We could have the elevated self through blank, ease, comfort. Happiness, being well-known, well-liked, security, whatever thing you're going to put right there is elevating yourself above Christ. And all of these at their roots are about us as the source, us as the beneficiary, and us as the one who gets the credit. Elevated self is belief in ourselves over belief in God. And hear this, it's a disease in the church. It is a disease that we think we are the points. Hear this, church. We are not the point, and that is really good news for us today. Here's a, here's a, um, the elevated self says, I don't need living water. I'll provide the water for myself. Elevated self does not desire living water because we're so full of getting praise and comfort for ourselves, we don't need living water. The elevated self appears good on the outside, but it's withering away on the inside. Here's a question for you to diagnose. Is your hope in Christ and what he says or the approval of man? Let me ask you this. What do you think about more? What man thinks or what God says? That many times reveals where our true hope and belief is in. This is fun today, isn't it? So what are the elements of belief? If unbelief is kind of this elevated self being at the center, what is belief? Look at verse 37 again. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. On this last day of the feast, hear this. This is the ceremony with the officiating priest who's drawing water from the pool of Siloam and he's pouring this basin and there's just all this stuff happened. He stands up and he says this right here. If anyone thirst, 
Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So how do we walk in this kind of belief? There's two things, and we're going to wrap up today. This is what belief actually looks like. The first is right here. We have to believe. He says here in verse 38. Verse 37, excuse me. If anyone thirst, you have to acknowledge that you are thirsty. You acknowledge your thirst and you say the, the things of this world are not hydrating me. What this really means, this kind of belief, this is a surrender. This is why Christ says it's so hard for a rich man to enter heaven. Because we are filling ourselves with all kinds of fake water over and over and just enough to like get through life. But we're not feasting or acknowledging our deeper soul thirst. Hear this, we are not animals that just need physical needs. We have souls and the only thing that will quench the thirst of your soul is Jesus Christ. It's the only thing, friends. So in belief, we have to acknowledge our thirst. Second, it says here, let him come to me. This is you confessing and coming to Jesus as the source to quench your thirst. Acknowledge, believe in Jesus. Surrender, trust, move towards him. This is the great humility. I believe it's a deeper humility than we realize many times. And and here's why. We're going to leave today and be inundated with all kinds of messages that tell us the elevated self is the way to live life. And we forget what true humility looks like. We have to humble ourselves with childlike faith, wonder, and surrender. We must believe We acknowledge and confess him as Lord. None of this might be new to you, but I think we don't realize, I'm gonna get to the second point. Let me keep going. He says here, if anyone thirst, let him come to me. And then here's the key. We drink, we drink. And this is what drinking in looks like. It's pursuing and obeying. It's pursuing and obeying. And this is where I believe most Christians in this room, this is why we live dry lives. I think we've come to a place, many of us, where we acknowledged and we confessed, but we're not drinking. Hear this, you pursue what you believe in. You make time for what you believe in. You commit to what you believe in. You enjoy what you believe in. When you believe in something, nothing else matters. Pursuit is faith in action. Obedience is faith in action. You give your time, your money, all this stuff over and over again. Hear this. We are functional legalists about the things that we truly care about. Here's what I mean. You get very legalistic about when your team plays. 
You get very legalistic about how to spend your money. You get very legalistic about how you do this or that because that is where many times the elevated self puts their hope, trust, faith, and affection to. But you mentioned committing to God. Oh, I don't be a legalist. I don't be a legalist. No, hear this. Commitment is not legalism. Commitment saying, I have found the drink. I'm coming back to this drink every single day because this drink provides life. That's what I'm saying. We have to learn to walk in functional pursuits and obedience of Christ. Man, that is the pursuit. It's the feasting on the living water. There is a joy in pursuing the living water. And hear this. So we pursue, we also must obey. Many times, the greater power of the Spirit in our lives is on the other side of obedience. Because obedience is belief in action. This is Noah building the ark, right? He had faith in God, which led him to do this act. It is faith in action. Saying no to the things of this world, the lesser water, and saying yes to the things of God is deepening your belief and your trust in Jesus. That he is sufficient. And the deeper our belief goes, the more we trust in him, the greater realization of the spirit and the power and the joy in our lives. The fruits of the spirit come out as we deepen belief in Jesus. This is living water life. And this is promised to you by Jesus. But it means that we have to surrender, humble ourselves today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for the rest of your life. And you may hear me say this, say, Jason, that is too much. What I'm going to tell you today is the way we live our lives many times is unfulfilling and insufficient, isn't it? Isn't it? The creator of the world who put on flesh is telling us to come to him, acknowledge him, and drink. Hear this. Hear this. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. If we can seek his kingdom first, all the things that elevated self makes Superior will fall into place. Listen, if we seek him first, your bills are going to be paid. If we seek him first, you're going to find joy. If we seek him first, you're going to have wisdom. But those things can't be the point. The point is Jesus. That is good news for us today. So, so here is my application for us today. Maybe for you today, you have never in your life truly acknowledged humbled yourself, surrendered yourself, and confessed him as Lord. If that is you today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. You do not want to go another day not knowing Jesus and being full of the Holy Spirit. You do not want to do that. If that is you today, I'm going to pray in a minute and be back there. Come and find me and I'll pray with you. Or write on your car for us to call you. We want to see you walk in living water life. Now, maybe you today, you, you are a person, you have walked with Christ, you love Christ, but you're just feeling dry. You're just feeling kind of at the end of yourself today. Pursue and obey. How are you going to commit to drinking the living water?
What in your life needs to change to get out of the way so you can actually pursue and drink the living water? Where is there functional disobedience? You can talk to other brothers and sisters in this room that have brought sin into the light and walked in confession and repentance and they're feeling the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives because they brought sin into the light. Friends, I want us to walk in freedom, like charismatic freedom. Sorry to scare you, but we should leave here bouncing, bouncing. We're leaving here with our heads down because we're walking in so much disobedience and we're hiding sin. Stop it. Stop it because this living water will not push you away. This living water loves you and what he wants for you is to come to the end of yourself and drink. That is my hope and my prayer for us today. Let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, you are, you're just good to us. You do not give us what we deserve. You give us mercy, patience as we dabble with other lesser things. Thank you for your mercy, for your love, and for your kindness. Jesus, we declare today that you are sufficient, that you are the sufficient water for us today. Father, let your Holy Spirit in his kindness lead us to repentance today. We love you. We trust you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. We're going to now move forward with communion. This physical act of surrender. This physical act saying that we don't have what it takes to provide what we need. Or we come, we partake in the body and the blood of our Savior. And this is, a, this is a table that is for those who have confessed faith, who've acknowledged their need and put their faith and trust in Christ. If that is not you today, this is not for you. And, and that is okay. We would love to talk with you or you just sit there and just think about the words of scripture today. But as you're ready, as you do work with God, I would encourage you. So we talk about pursuing and obeying and drinking of the living water. Today we pursue and we partake of the body and the blood of Christ. Please come when you're ready. I'll be in the back if you want to pray.